0: Hello and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi Chris.
1: Hi Peter. We've seen the images and in person the supermarket shelves empty of fresh produce due in part to the crazy weather abroad which has created severe fresh food shortages. We suspect this might spark a yet another interest in grow your own home produce this year as we all perhaps aim to become a little bit more self-sufficient. Today we chat with David Turner, the Marketing Service Manager at Mr Fothergill Seeds. It's spring and many of us will be thinking about growing more plants than ever this year from
2: seed. David, welcome to Digit. Where do we find you today? Supposedly sat in a home office, I'm glad to say. Um, A nice Friday at home rather than working in the the main office.
0: Mm -hmm. Lucky for some. That's nice.
2: (laughs) And um,
1: can we perhaps ask a little about yourself, David? How did you get into the the wonderful world of of seeds?
2: Well, I I was frighteningly working this out the other day, and horticulturally wise, I've been in the industry for thirty five years, which scared me slightly <laughs> because I'm still only eighteen. So <laughs> it it started it started originally in a company that m- many. Probably won't remember, but a company called Fison's Horticulture, based mm-hmm. in Ipswich. Mm-hmm. And I started there in customer service and through various changes. I think you'll, you'll find the same with a lot of people in this industry. They might be working for different companies, but once horticulture's got hold of you, you don't tend to escape. Um, and through, I, I say, bad luck, it's probably good luck, really, redundancy. I ended up um, 12 years ago last week working for Mr. Fothergill Seeds, which was my first entry into the seed market in horticulture.
1: Okay. Mm.
0: And do
2: you grow things yourself, David? When I get the time, my wife's actually more into growing the seeds. We've, we've got her set up. Um, uh, I moved into a new build a couple of years ago, so we had a blank canvas, mm-hmm. and she's That's loving that. that. Excellent. Digging beds, um, not so much the veg. We, we've really concentrated ourselves on the flowers to give ourselves a nice area, if you like. It? A reasonable sized garden as well, so it, it's a nice. A
0: big project then. That, that, that sounds good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and can you tell us a little
0: bit of a background about Mr. Fothergill's seeds by any chance?
2: Mm. Yeah. I mean, they they started I think people probably have a almost false memory of how long they've been going, but they started in nineteen seventy eight okay. so that was yeah. uh, two two chaps called Ryan Carey and Jeff Fothergill, and they decided that the companies they were working for at the time weren't doing enough, if you like, for the industry so that they thought they could do better. Yep. And so started Mr. Fothergill's in a small building actually opposite to where the current building is, um, just a little, basically almost uh, a cottage. Okay. And uh, okay. it was famously formerly Lily Langtree's, um, what would you call it? Uh, uh, Where'd you get her horses? I can't even think of the stable. That's the word. Yeah, a yeah. mm. brand here and um yeah they started over there with just a couple of people in packing the seeds themselves sending them out but over the years they've they've tried to do things slightly differently and uh they were oddly the first company to display the contents on the packets, so how much was in there and what was in there which was interesting you didn't usually get the co- counter seed it would be a gram or maybe two grams um they introduced pictorial wildflower packets launch seed collections you didn't get those before them mm-hmm. um, and so they've also they also started promotional seeds where you didn't used to get them if you say I think they've done various things like um, on a, a bottle of sherry bizarrely you might get a, a collar with get your free packet of seeds mm-hmm. those kind of things that didn't happen before Fothergill so I think we're proud to say we've We've led the way in a lot of areas. Great innovation, I have to say. That's
1: yeah. And I didn't realise, mm. David, it was so so you know re- recent history. I, I thought Mr. Fothergill's had been going a lot a lot longer than that. So there you go. Your your mind
2: does play tricks on yeah. you, doesn't it? It, it does indeed. And I think that that's that's great in a way because I think people um, many probably would have said ten twenty years ago that oh they're the new boys they they're not going to come to much, but this almost false history, it's, not, it's nothing we've actually done, it's just mm. people have created almost this history, oh my, my grandfather always used to buy your seeds, and that's perpetuated and gave us enough kudos in, in the industry to build ourselves and hopefully we've come up to scratch. Mm.
0: Mm. well certainly we stock your brand in the garden center and it does very well and um yeah the mm. feedback we get is um good. The seeds, yeah. isn't it? definitely a, a, a good a good brand but i guess i mean the the marketplace is a very busy sort of marketplace isn't it i mean you've got thompson mm. and morgan you've got yourselves you've got some big brands out there yeah does uh, does Mister Fothergills have any other brands that our customers would recognise, or is it just the seeds that you guys do?
2: No, we just have the, we do have the seeds, but we also have ventured into the tools. So if you see Dalek tools in a garden centre, ah, that yeah. is now owned by
0: you're behind that brand.
2: It is. It, it's an interesting one because you have a, a fairly static size of market four seeds because you can't suddenly create several million new homes in the blink of an eye that are going to need to sow seed Mm, and whilst we don't want to get away from gardening and that is what we do its to grow we thought that something that we could add to growing so tools digging tools cutting tools would be an ideal fit Mm. for us and it was a company that had been family owned again very much like us, okay. and they just got to the point where they didn't really have the resource to push the brand any further. Yep. So we had a sales team on the road, and we also had the location. So we took that on, I think, it's about four or five years ago now, and yep. uh, hopefully you will, start, you will have started to see that brand of tools appearing much more frequently in garden centers as well.
0: Well, we've, we've certainly got a metre and a half, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> and have been supporting <laughs> that, but I had no idea that was you guys as
2: well. That's, That's brilliant. brilliant. Well, there you go. It just goes to show our sales guys are doing their job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, D- D- David, um, Mr. Folligills, th- am I right in thinking you are a global brand, though? You're not just UK based?
2: Oh, very much so. Uh, we We export to in the region of 30 plus countries, but we also have actual subsidiaries, fully owned subsidiaries in a couple of different countries. The biggest probably Australia. So they they are actually, if you, I think some people have got confused on social media in the past where they've looked up Mr. Fothergill's, haven't noticed that the image has the Australian flag behind him. (laughs) So we've had some rather interesting queries about whether products are safe with dingoes and things like that, which we have to (laughs) Over to um, our Australian colleague, but it is all the same company. It's just mm. run separately. Um, but I, the difficulty with a lot of these countries is that what we might consider a beautiful wildflower, mm. they may consider an invasive weed. Oh, mm. okay, yes. So we have to be very careful about ranges, and it has to be specific to some countries.
0: So, and. How do you monitor your own varieties of seed? I mean, do you have trial grounds and how do you assess sort of what's a good seed to be growing?
2: Well, we we do have a trial ground at the office which I have to say, when it's in full bloom is an excellent way to break any stress levels you have down. To okay. so take a wonder, 10 minute one around there is great. But we trial a, a number of different things on an area. We have a We don't have an infinite area to grow, so it has to be a little bit specific. But we will have uh, new varieties that suppliers are trying to get us to sell. We will trial those to see whether they grow well or not. We will test seed that we have in our store to make sure that it is still germinating above the recommended rate so that we, we feel confident to pack them. Um, we'll also trial varieties that are supplied by different suppliers claiming to be the same variety and sometimes you can get some very interesting results where something that uh, is supposed to be a dwarf might come in at four or five foot tall and various anomalies coming on. But we we try and get a mixture of these kind of things and it's, it's not just flowers, it's flowers and veg. Uh, We've always got runner beans on the go. We've corn on the cob. We have, which is great because we get to trial these things as well.
0: I was going to say, do you guys get to go and pick your own vegetables for the evening meal and uh, (laughs) take them home, or 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 is it only for the directors?
2: They get to have the cream of (laughs) the crop. (laughs) No, no. What what tends to happen because because it's a trial, things have to be measured, weighed, make sure the yields are. Uh, are correct. Once that happens, then there's usually a couple of wheelbarrows appear at various entrances to the office, and <laughs> a, a message will go round. So you might have go home with a couple of courgettes one day, some squash the next. <laughs> um, the, the best one, I think, as far as I'm concerned, is we had a a, a rather large polytunnel, and we had a trial about six seven years ago of 162 different tomato varieties. Okay, and uh, and I'm, sure I'm sure you're aware. If you go near a tomato plant, the smell just makes you hungry. When you've got 162, you could walk with polytunnel and just want to devour the lot. But uh, we we had to do taste tests, and okay. it was it was awful. I, I hated it. <laughs>
0: Brilliant, that's good because I mean, yeah, tomatoes, like you say, they do have a nice aroma when you go in the greenhouse, and you can always smell when you've got tomatoes oh, in flower. Yeah, a good, good smell, yeah. but yeah, that, that's one of the joys. Oh, it's smells. absolutely
2: delicious. Yeah, it's lovely.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, David, you, these seeds obviously you're selling, where do you actually source the, the main stock? Because obviously, there's a certain number which obviously you, I suppose you could grow in-house in effectively, but in view of the a massive oh. range of, of, of varieties you're doing, where where do they come from, may I, may I ask?
2: Well, they're far-flung places, to be honest, mm-hmm. because the UK, you can get supplies from the UK, but the nature of the beast is we don't have huge areas for growing um, seeds in. I mean, there are some salad growers, particularly in the area where I live, in Norfolk, uh, there's quite a lot of salad growers that, grow in quantity that can be harvested for seed but i would say majority is probably holland we get some from the us uh, and the there are one or two that come from farther flung places usually if it's specifically uh, a, a variety that doesn't do well necessarily in conditions elsewhere but we what we do try for the uk market anyway is to ensure that they are for the uk climate and the question you often get at shows is can i take these and grow them in a hot climate well some some would be okay but we are selling product for the uk climate which we all know is not necessarily very hot if you exclude last year um (laughs) but that's that's just how we have to do it we we want to make sure that people can grow what we sell You go back to the trial ground, our our team there, who are basically a team of two that do our entire trials, they grow them as you would grow in your back garden. The only difference being that we do have a large polytunnel rather than a small glass house, and we do have a large-scale system of pumping water around because they wouldn't be able to do it with a watering can. But other than that, we don't use any tricks of the trade or anything to try and grow it it has to be so that we understand the customer is going to be able to grow it in their back garden that's no, very, important, very important isn't it what yeah we'll yeah
1: i was mm. going to say that's that's yeah. essential isn't it otherwise you're you're getting a very false sense of security with the the plants you're you're nurturing
2: i suppose oh absolutely yeah i mean you you, you get if you, if you treat them like a nursery does they're They're selling a plant if they're growing for their own needs and their own selling. And they want it to look as green, as bushy, and as floriferous, I can never say that word properly, uh, (laughs) as they get. So there will be fertiliser, there will be feeds going on there that a normal um, gardener would not have access to. And I understand why they do it, and it's perfectly legitimate what they do, but we're because we're at the other end of the spectrum, we're starting from that seed. Then it has to be something that people can put in a pot or put in the garden, and know they are going to get the majority of those growing into full plants.
0: Awesome. And just another question on your trial ground: Do you have different Ooh. like soil types, or so you can test sort of say how a and dahlia grows in a um, well, not dahlia, so That's not a good example, is it? Uh, um, a, a sunflower dna- would grow in, say, a clay soil versus a sandy soil, or is it just the one?
2: Unfortunately, no. I mean, we we do have very free-draining sandy soil at the trial, so it's probably the hardest <laughs> type of soil to get a lot of things because the nutrients can be washed out. Exactly. Yeah. It would be in an ideal world, we would have. A nice quartered up trial ground, which had all different soil types. Unfortunately, not um, not really possible because you've still got to rotate crops when you do your veg, uh, as I'm sure, we, I'm sure you're aware with brassicas, etc. And so you might be trialing them, uh, want to try them in a particularly clay soil, but you've already grown them there. So it, it all gets very complicated, and I think we just have to try and be as realistic as possible and obviously you can m- mimic some of those conditions if you're growing things in pots or containers out of that trial ground if you like but yeah we we have to go with what we got sadly
0: yeah well i mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day if you need some nice sticky clay soil, we'll happily send you some We've down. Got <laughs> We've got, got loads up here in <laughs> Buckingham. But, uh, yeah, free draining soil is fun. Ooh, <laughs> a bit harder. To it's find, the dream really. of many. <laughs> but uh, like you say, I mean, I think that's the joy of plants, isn't it? Yeah. Is that you guys will probably get feedback that these crops have done well, and that's why you sort of carry on with them. And if they're not, mm. if they're not doing well in one soil, they might not do well in another soil as well, isn't it? Uh, exactly it's it's
2: the joy it's because you're dealing with a living thing and i think people forget that almost sometimes it so living things don't always behave the way you expect them to exactly
1: yes (laughs) if only they did yes yes
0: The start of the pandemic three years ago must have had a big impact on seed demand. I mean, I know from a garden centre mm. we had to shut, so it was only the mail order mm. you know, sort of suppliers who were able to get the seed out in the spring. And um, but how how did it affect your business? Did it did you manage to cope with the supply and demand issues? Um,
2: I, I think we just about did. It's 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 almost you, you, you almost black out those times, don't you? When it when it went manic, yeah. uh, I think in the first first month of lockdown, there was something crazy. The traffic on the website there was something in the region of five hundred times what we would normally expect <laughs> at that time of year. Wow! Um, wow! Wow! Uh, yeah. we, we were lucky in a sense because the way our buying was done for seeds. We already had seed in stock for the following year. Okay. So we just had to work our packing facility, our, our filling lines at 24-7 yep. to try and keep up with the demand, but we had seed. Mm. So where where some companies I think were unlucky and it just it landed at the wrong time, if you like, for them, mm-hmm. it, 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 it can be a <clears> – <throat> excuse me – if there can be a good time for it to happen, it was for us. Mm. And uh, I think we only had to shut the website uh, a few times just so that the systems could catch up and that our poor ladies and our custom service department could actually catch up with putting orders on. (laughs) Um, But And I, I stand to be corrected by anyone, but generally I think we managed to keep up with it.
0: Brilliant. That's good because yeah, I know certain seed companies mm. really struggled, and yep. you know uh, but. That's good to hear. I mean, I know from my memories of mm-hmm. it. Well, half of the customers were sort of buying the plug plants and the bedding the things that we could do local mm-hmm. delivery for. But the number of
1: mail order yeah, request for seeds, request for yeah, seeds. I mean, our, our seed stands were just, just absolutely empty, and hammered and totally empty. Yeah, and then of course yeah. then we were waiting then for everybody then to start you know restocking, which of course just took a lot longer, didn't it, because of the situation yeah. and the fact we were closed for what seven seven weeks. Yes, mm. yeah. Um, David, could I just ask you about Brexit? I mean, I know it's obviously in the news at the moment. Has that caused any issues for you, for Mr. Fothergills, in the movement of seed from destinations and such like? Is that yeah, yeah?
2: I, I think this is one that any seed company would tell you very much the same story. It has caused us problems, and it has been particularly on tomatoes and peppers. Okay, have been it. It's, it's requiring certification to say that they are clear of certain pathogens. Mm-hmm. And if the paperwork, I don't know the full details, to be honest, but I, th- I believe if the paperwork is not 100% correct, then they are rejected. Now, if a supplier is sending a container load of, say, one variety of tomato, which is rejected at port, that is then destroyed. Okay. Wow. um, yeah you know, it might be a pallet load, it might be a container load, whatever quantity mm-hmm. is that is destroyed at port. now, that means that those those suppliers are saying well i'm I i have not got any money for that that's that's gone. that's my profit gone. Mm-hmm. Why should I supply to that country um or even If it's a variety, one of the things that we're coming across is if it's a variety that sells well in the UK but is not so popular in Europe, there are rumours, and there are rumours at this stage and murmurings that growers will stop growing those varieties. So you could potentially lose um, traditional varieties that we have a lot of or use a lot of in the UK but if Europe, wide they're not so popular, may well disappear, and it's a shame.
1: That is a shame, isn't it? So that's a, that's quite it's quite scary. Um well, those varieties which yeah. we we sort of take for yeah. granted just might disappear effectively almost yeah. overnight, I suppose.
2: Uh, it, it has that potential. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be scaremongering yeah. or anything on that, but and I think you know we may well in the. Uh, the near future, things might change, and suddenly it all becomes much easier. But mm. we we are aware of the situation, and we are having to be somewhat uh, circumspect about how we get hold of things these days. It's a shame.
0: So the marketplace is going to be changing then potentially. That that's going to be an interesting one. Again, you know I mean? potentially,
2: yeah. Potentially. You, you you can't say either way at this stage, but there is always that potential.
0: And just thinking about seeds and sort of packaging, there's quite a lot of terminology on the packets, David. Can we chat about these terms? And sort of, I, mean, hey. I guess some simple questions would be what's an F1 hybrid? Are some seeds are noticed so marked up as organic, and some are resistant, some are tolerant, some are. Yeah. What are the sort of basic definitions (laughs) (laughs) in layman's
2: terms. Um, I'll I'll try and run through those ones. So, F1 Hybrid. Um, Normally, your cheapest seeds will be what they refer to as OP, or open pollinated. So mm-hmm. if a grower is growing the seeds, you just rely on your bees and your hoverflies and other pollinating insects, and they zip between flowers, and you get, you get what you get at the end of the day. An echo hybrid is where a grower has taken two parent plants with particular um, attributes that they like yeah. and combine them, usually in a very manual way, and which can be as time-consuming as using a, a small paintbrush mm. and transferring the pollen from one flower to another. Okay. But they cannot work en masse outside. They have to be strictly controlled to make sure that they get those particular attributes. And again, that tends to be why they're very expensive.
0: So that, that keeps them as a pure strain, I suppose, does it?
2: Yes, it is. People have wondered why when they take seed from it, say they've grown an F1 cucumber, as an example, and they've harvested some seed, yep. and they grow them the next year, and the plant comes up completely different. That mm. so is simply because they are not from the two parents, the two original parents, and therefore you're going back to one of the lesser, varieties if you like mm. um that they were grown from and so th- this is the reason why people say well why are they so expensive it's a manual process a very labor-intensive process so that that's your f1 hybrid okay you, organic organic is quite a, a a tough one to pin down really but it's seed that is grown organically so there's no um Artificial fertilizers, there are no artificial additives or anything. It is purely grown with water and natural feeds so again then then you've got to get an organic natural feed which this process goes so far back to try and ensure that you are growing completely organically yep. and um we we use the organic farmers as a, um an almost an authority to say yes, we can put organic on this particular product. It's it's one of those um, things that has waned and waxed in popularity. It comes, it goes. At the moment, I think it's definitely on the increase again, and I think we will see more and more organic varieties. Again, difficulty with that is because you can't use pesticides. It becomes more expensive because it's much more difficult to get a bulk crop without things being eaten. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I keep say I keep seeing to describe things that cost more at the moment. Terrible thing to say. Um resistance and tolerance, yeah. <laughs> Two terms that I think can be misused and misunderstood. We we very rarely in girls, use the term that something is disease resistant. Right. Um, because it implies that that disease will never attack that plant. Um, and I think if you say it has some resistance, which is much the same as tolerance, mm. then that is truer of most varieties. Tolerance means that you've you've got a variety that might grow, say it's a tomato that has blight tolerance. And some of your tomatoes get blight, those with a tolerance to it could survive a bit longer without getting that problem. So you might get a harvest out of them before they show too much too much sign of blight. But to actually have a variety that is blight resistant, I think I I could probably say that I have heard of one tomato, possibly two that are fully resistant and we haven't trialed them. So I, I'm not going to say either way on that, but it is, it's a gray area with how things are described. I, I think I would be happier saying that our varieties that can deal with any kind of disease are tolerant. Mm. Yeah, so thanks.
1: Thanks for the clarification because that is a, a much asked question uh, at the garden centre. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, David. As, as we know, um, the, the, the packet seed market has changed so much over the last well three, four, five decades. I I can remember actually going when I first bought my first packet of seeds. I can remember it was uh, it was the Suttons brand, and um, I, I didn't buy them from the garden. Yeah, uh, and I, I bought them from a, a hardware store because. Uh, we didn't really have any any decent garden centre. We had nurseries, um, so that's how that's my sort of lasting impression at that time. It's obviously changed, hasn't it? I mean, the technology in producing mm. seed and how seed is, is is marketed has moved on obviously a lot in those those
2: years. Yeah, and it's it's a strange one because technology, oddly, doesn't really touch seeds again it's a living thing you you can't say technology has i think the packing has definitely improved we've got uh much more environmentally friendly inks on the packets than we used to have um there, there are water-based inks you use paper packets rather than plasticized packets um those those kind of sides of the, the technology, yes, they they have definitely improved, and I think um, it can only be a good thing. <laughs> Seed itself, it's, yeah, I mean, there's been coating of seeds, not fully convinced that that was um, something that really worked. Um, other than that, it, it's it's going to be your packing machinery, the speed with which things can be packed when say when Bothergill started in seventy eight, they were hand filling. Oh. And uh obviously
0: A lot of very, pairs of very small density. scales
2: <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. In and it, the scale that things have gone up, we've got I I I'd hate to think how many packing machines we have now, but I think we have potential to pack uh, over hundred million packets a year if everything was run, running at full capacity, 24 hours a day, then we could do over 100 million packets. We we don't because we don't need to. But as things change and hopefully there would come a time, then, yes, great. If we could uh, pack and sell that many seeds, I'm sure everyone would be very happy.
0: Definitely. And one thing I've noticed is um, the likes of, sort of, what I'll call industrial seeds or seed processes, as in seed tapes. And Mm -hmm. uh, now uh, the latest uh, sort of fad that that I've seen uh, is uh, these little pots that come with compost and seed in them and all you have to do is put some water on them and off they go. uh, Mm -hmm. Are there any other sort of things like that that you know of in the pipeline? And are, are they really suitable for the home gardener or is it really just a case of well let's try and expand the market a little bit and see what else we can sell
2: yeah i think it's, it's a little bit of both to to be honest the it's nice to have something within the industry that you can give as a gift and i think that's where those little pots become really useful it's it can be used as a trigger for maybe a young child to find out what happens i mean they the compressed pellets of coir that you get in those pots that you were talking about yeah. they're quite fun to watch You put water in, they expand which you know what kid doesn't like filling up a sink full of uh, compost because it started off <laughs> as a small <laughs> disk you know, those kind of things and um, tapes and mats i i think they do have a definite place and i the the simplicity of someone with a container garden they don't have a lot of space to be able to put a pre-sewn mat in and know that they will have a crop of whether it be flowers or, or veg yeah. uh, my my I, my favorite story about the the seed tapes is i i have attended the numerous shows to sell the product at, at the shows and um a couple of ladies came on and they bought some of our seed tapes, I think a year or two before, and they'd got uh, an allotment. But they had a lot of fun on their allotment. They were, you know, they were singing to themselves. They, they wouldn't be quite as neat and tidy as some other allotmenteers might like them to be. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, they, they'd been looked down upon somewhat. So they bought a load of these seed tapes and went and dug up their their plot, I think it must have been an early evening or something, sometime when it was there was very few people there, and sewed these tapes.
0: Yep.
2: So they looked as if they were just messing around on their allotment. But once things started growing, they had these perfectly straight lines of bed. <laughs> and their their neighbors on the allotment could not understand how they'd managed to do it. <laughs> But they again, I think it's um, it, it is something for people that want to do this growing, but they they don't know how far apart they should be. They they don't like the idea of having to thin out. It's it's not lazy man's gardening, but it, it it's an introduction. If it's something that pulls people in and say, oh, I can grow these, it's a nice simple way of doing it. Then great, because they may progress onto the sowing. A normal packet of seeds rather than seed tape, if we can hook them in in some way to bring them into this wonderful world of gardening that we 're all involved in, then great I, I think those have a market place
1: mm, yes, definitely yeah, and thinking about the best sellers david i 'm sure you in the office you must have your your, your boards up with what 's selling <laughs> best. I suppose it does depend on the time of the year, but say this you a know, snapshot of a typical spring vegetables and flower seeds what tends to be in your, your top sort of three
2: of those you know i think i could probably rattle these off quite easily and i don't think they've changed in the last God hamlet in many years i think mm-hmm. in the 12 years i've been there flowers sunflower giant single and sweet peas of various types mm-hmm. yeah. veg you have beetroot boltardi and carrot non you could almost
0: I could put a bet on those being our top sellers at the end of the year, easily. Aquadolce broad beans. There's definitely a pattern. I mean, I I remember when I was doing the seed ordering every year, it was like, have we got enough, Bolt Hardy? Have Mm -hmm. we got... I think it's a reflection on what tastes good as well, though, doesn't it? And what's easy to grow. And it, it is nice and reassuring in that sense that if you pick the winning best sellers you're going to get quite a good crop i mean money maker tomato that's another one isn't it exactly
2: and and that's why if you look at any range of seeds you will always see those varieties in it whatever company is supplying them Mm -hmm. they will have those in their in their range
1: yeah, I suppose there's a lot of tradition, isn't it? Sort of handing down within within families, you know, what, what varieties we've grown, you know, mm. and that's been probably passed down subliminally perhaps, you know. People see the seed packets or or the labels from, you know, years gone by and uh, we, we follow the same route, so, yeah. You're well, not
0: wrong, Chris, because yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, I grow enormous broad mm-hmm. beans and I've obviously had the allotment for quite a few years and I've trialled all sorts of different broad beans, but for me, Enorma always does well, yeah. and it's always a nice flavour, and does, it's a good broad bean, mm-hmm. and, uh, or runner bean even, not a broad yeah. bean. It <laughs> get, gets right <laughs> there, <but> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you are right, doesn't You, you do follow sort of, what your parents have had down mm. to your...
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, my, my father always grew Tigerella and Gardener's Delight. Wouldn't change. Never changed yeah. what they've eaten.
1: Interesting, isn't it? How we, we are sort of uh, well, well, it's just it's what we are, aren't we? We're human beings, and we, we follow lots of uh, traditions and uh, lots of routines in our lives. Yep. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. And
0: have you seen any sort of major trends or any shifts in seed buying in uh, recent years? Obviously, we are. We just talked about the fact we're quite stuck in our ways. But I mean, things like um, I'm going to say miniature sunflowers. Mm. Thirty years ago, I don't think they were really in the marketplace that much and they're now i love them i think they're great sort of addition to the bedding plant for the a nice flowering plant for the summer uh, have you noticed any other sort of varieties that you thought Ooh, that's making a big impact on sales now that
2: possibly wasn't there a few years back um i i think it, it, it's a strange strange industry because Things go in cycles almost. I mean, you're right. The door sunflower, has, and I think they are great for for beds and borders when when you want the impact of that colour of a sunflower, but you don't want to have to stake them up against a a, a fence or anything. They are great. But dahlias, um, they they spent a lot of years in the wilderness of popularity. They've suddenly made a comeback over the last few years, I think. Um, what else, sweet peas come and go. Um, I think there's, there was also a period of time when you had these, um, what they described as shape-shifting, not shape-shifting, I do apologise, colour-shifting um, flowers, which were really popular for a couple of years, and that's disappeared. That I, I think it, it, it's this strange attitude to where people think, oh, That's something new when, in fact, it's something that's just lurked in the background for a number of years, used to be popular, and comes back again. Mm -hmm. So I think it's difficult to say trend-wise what has been the next big thing. Um, I'm struggling to even think of anything that's really outstanding.
1: David, one one sort of example I can give now, because we we do seem to get asked more at the garden centre, is going back to, to Peter's question about sunflowers. Is the different colours of sunflowers rather going from the traditional yellow? Mm. There's lots of That's lovely true, yes. russet shades. There's a wonderful red one uh, out there. I've noticed yeah. on the, on the seed ranges. I mean, just you know, the change. Of, you know, the perception of a sunflower, bright yellow, tall. Yeah, that that's moved away quite a bit. And I think that's quite exciting, certainly for, for the younger gardeners who are getting into gardening for the first time.
2: Maybe. Oh, absolutely. I think you've got uh, evening sun's a got a very nice orange deep orangey mm. colour. And you have also got the ones, the the multicoloured ones with the rings like Magic Roundabout, where it has the darker ring mm. and then it goes lighter again yep. before the centre of the flower. And there's also these um these quite fun ones are not they don't even look like um sunflowers really these like uh teddy bear they're they're almost like pom-poms of flowers and i think these the breeding is quite interesting that they what tends to happen with these things is a grower maybe has got say a 15 acre field full of uh, a dwarf sunflower in the middle of there they notice this strange shaped one, which looks like a, a little pom pom ball. Mm-hmm. Rather than weed these things out, quite often what they do is they will take one of these this strange rogue plant, nurture it, and try and grow on the seed. And if the seed then produces a number also of that pom pom, you see where you get the new varieties from. It's just almost like random chance that mm-hmm. these things start. And then Someone like our company will send along their seed experts to go and look at the trials each year of these big growers, and they say, oh, I like that. But the, the difficulty with these things is that um, you, you say trends. Trends is really difficult to follow in this industry because from that first sighting, it could be five years before the crop is large enough mm-hmm. to harvest yeah. so that we've got enough to fill packets. By which time, trends are quite often moved on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, It's quite difficult to say that, but yeah, those, those kind of things are really interesting where what to a casual observer would be a rogue, a random thing that needs mm. to be fished out because that's not what the crop is, can become the next big thing almost. Excellent.
1: Yeah. Well, that's and that makes it more interesting for, for the well for, for you guys producing these seeds because it's something new to introduce uh, into, into garden centres and to your online businesses, I suppose. Indeed. Um, yeah, cool. uh, David. The um, obviously we've seen the, the rise of plug plants in garden centres. Um, I mean, both flowers at the moment. We, we we do obviously all the kinder plants, but also for the likes of uh, vegetable plug plants. Do you think that's having uh, sort of a, a, an effect on? Is it having an impact on on the seed business, or is it is it working very much in tandem with it?
2: I think I think it's actually probably working in tandem because you get there are always those people that will feel getting a plug plant means that the difficult work has been done, mm-hmm. and again, as, as we say, the getting people to actually grow something in the first place does it matter if it's from seed or a plug plant if it gets them into horticulture if it gets them to growing Mm. then your your job is half done we then have to supply decent quality seeds and and the, the varieties that people want but it it's getting people hooked and it's not difficult i mean you you guys will know there is so much um joy at the end of the day to look at something and say, I grew that, I nurtured that, and now I'm either looking at it because it's a flower, or I'm going to cook that for tea tonight. And whether you've done that from a seed or a plug plant, you've still put a lot of effort into getting that there. And I think that, that sense of well-being and satisfaction is hard to beat. And um- Something that's
0: obviously in the news all the time these days is climate change um, and we've been discussing on the podcast the mm. fact the RHS have moved their collections of gooseberries, gooseberries yeah. up, up north, north yeah. <laughs> um, to keep them in a, a better climate uh, and obviously you were talking earlier about the fact that say a person growing a I don't know a pepper plant in the UK might grow it in a greenhouse whereas say if you grow it in spain you can probably just grow it out on in your garden um have you noticed much of a sort of shift in seed purchases and variety purchases with regards to climate change and how the fact that it's getting a bit warmer
2: yeah I'm, i'm not sure there's been much of a shift as yet in purchasing but we've already started looking because on the back of the packets there's with any seed company, you have a little sowing calendar. Yeah, the little is, coloured windows. Uh, sew, exactly, yeah. And we are already looking at this and thinking, actually, you know, these are going to have to start moving. Shift it forward. Because, yeah, mm. yeah this is it. We we already have a little bit of a dilemma because we have to do an average and the yeah. UK Scotland growing season is completely different to if you're down in Devon. Yeah. But we, you can't do individual packets for the different areas; just be far too expensive. But we, we already know that there are, there are going to have to be some changes. Where we might say, um, so outside in March, that might have to be in, in April, or it, it might have to be so indoors to start, or an indoor one might well have to now be or recommended to sow outdoors. Mm. It, there's lots of these things that are just have been happening quite slowly, but it's been a number of years since these things were last looked at, and I think it's going to suddenly become apparent that we could be a month out um, in harvest, in sowing, any of these things. And that's going to carry on, I think.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. It certainly... well like we were just saying, it, it is noticeable now that things are coming in. Well, I heard on the news yesterday, yesterday adders are coming out earlier, and mm-hmm. um, you think, well, they're a cold-blooded animal, and that's a real good indication that things are warming up when well, the, the likes exactly. of reptiles are coming out earlier.
2: We've we've had some of some of the daffodils locally have finished. They flowered and they finished.
0: My word! Wow. You know
2: they you. <laughs> so it's it. No, I mean, it's not all of them. But yeah, no, there no, there but is you
0: enough. Know, you think? Well, that's a bit early. Well, just as a total difference to that, my snowdrops still haven't come out. Oh, I've, no. I've, I've, <laughs> I've planted some snowdrops in pots, and they're about an inch tall now. Oh. They're just absolutely. <laughs> <Okay. That's pretty laughs> so
2: Northampton's very cold. <laughs> You've obviously
1: got a microclimate there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh... yeah. David, obviously uh, through your years at Mr. Fothergill's, you've surely you've picked up some uh, some tips on growing um, seeds. Could we start with some tips on growing seeds directly in the soil outdoors? What sort of pointers would you give our It uh, listeners? Uh, what what advice could you give them?
2: Oh, advice. Probably in I'm not necessarily the best person to give advice i mean we I would always say follow the instructions on the back of the packet as sort <laughs> of a cop out I know but I think we, <laughs> but it it is true what what is on the back of our, of our packets of any company's packets is recommendations as to how you should approach it um, and you've got some some seeds you will find have both an outdoor and an indoor sew instruction. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing this is the same with other companies, but what we tend to do is whichever one you read first, whichever is above, is our recommendation. You can do it the other way, but we recommend you do it that way first. And I think anything to do with sewing is don't just um, go into it blindly. Do a little reading, even if it is just that back a packet of seeds. If someone suggests you do it this way, if it's, particularly if it's your first time doing it, follow those instructions. You might find, wherever you are, that actually the next year, you do something slightly different, it works better for you. That's fine. But if you're starting out and you want the best results, just follow those instructions. And they're not, hopefully, they're not complicated. But they will give you the best chance of getting a decent result out of it.
0: Yeah, very you're, true. You're not wrong. And it does make a big difference to sort of germination of varieties, doesn't it? If you if it says plant it under half a centimeter of soil and you put it three centimeters yes. down. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it yes. never pops yeah. up, does yes. it? Yeah. Very
2: much and even even though that there are some that you literally put on the surface yeah. and people can't they they think they've got to cover them with a half inch of soil or whatever. You know, if it stays on the surface and just pat over, that's the way to do it. Yeah. That is the best way to get results.
1: Indeed. Yeah. I mean, the advice I was was given always was at college, uh, David, was you know when you see the first dandelion in flower in your garden, usually that's an indication that your soil temperatures reached a, a good level, so you can you know start yeah. sowing your, your your broad beans and maybe venture out with some of yeah. your your, your bolt hardy but then you yeah. get a you, and and you, I think, yeah I was going to say you get a year like this year where we're obviously uh, it's looking like March is going to be a little bit unpredictable, shall we say with with colder weather perhaps mm-hmm. you know um yeah. you know the, the dandelions are in flower, but actually you know hold back you know you've you just got to work yeah. with the weather and with your own perhaps good good instinct yeah. too I, I
2: think there was particularly last, last year um last year or the year before when we had the very warm February March didn't we? Mm -hmm. And I think people were lulled into a false sense of security to go out and start sowing. Difficulty is, we were still having cold nights, and people have to remember that it's that soil temperature that Mm -hmm. needs to be up around what, I think they normally say 8 to 11 degrees, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if it's hot during the day but cold at night, the soil doesn't get up to that temperature. Uh, And if you sow too early, it can check seed and it can even rot it in the garden. So if, if there's a, a gadget, someone wants to get a, a new gardener for Christmas, a soil thermometer, brilliant piece of kit, simple, but that will ensure that you're not sowing until that soil temperature is up to a decent level. Yep. That's a good idea. Thanks for
1: yeah. that one. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. good. Okay, David. Uh, we obviously this part of the podcast we like to put our expert guests on the spot. So if you were ever stranded on that, you know, virtual desert island, what plant or gardening mm. implement uh, would you like to be stranded with and why? Um,
2: garden implement. Um I'm afraid I'm going to be um very brand aware for uh for our companies uh tool in the dialect range called a hori-hori. The oh, yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> re- yeah, reason behind
2: that is has a saw edge, a blade edge, it can be used to dig, cut, chop, and um, it could be used to defend yourself, I guess, if you're on a desert island, you don't know what you're going to come across. <laughs> but I think it just has so many uses. Nothing would ever be Particularly, you couldn't attack a tree with it, for instance. But if you had something to attack a tree, it would just do cutting a tree down. It's very likely you wouldn't get anything else. Mm. But the Hori, Hori is something you can carry around and is, I guess, a jack-of-all-trades, not necessarily a master of none, but really useful. Excellent. Good stuff.
0: And any plants you'd be... Happy to take with you or be growing? A packet of seeds, maybe?
2: I, think I was going to say, I, I, think, I think you'd hope to, hope to happen to have a packet of uh, veg seeds in your pocket. Um, if you could get a couple, I guess, you want something nice and quick, uh, like some radish that you could grow really quickly to give a snack, and uh, maybe something like a, some runner beans, to give a nice long, heavy crop or something that you can eat and give you some nutrition.
1: Perfect, yes. Brilliant, good stuff.
2: And over the years,
1: I'm
0: sure you've talked to many people in the gardening industry. Anyone told you a good joke or anything you can <laughs> tell us today that will make us you know, have a little giggle?
2: Um, I, I, I don't know. The, I, I guess the story that makes me chuckle the most was, um, and it happened to me, when I, when I first started at Fothergill's, almost the very first thing I was given was a pile of papers. Mm. To apply to uh, have a trade stand at the Chelsea Flower Show, right? Mm-hmm. So, jump into that with, with with all guns blazing because that was exciting, and it still is, to be honest. I still go. But when I was there, I had only been with the company. Ooh, I started in the February, so three months. Yep, still new to the industry as as far as seeds go. And the variety of stuff we had there. So I'm on the stand, very nervous, not quite knowing what to expect. Um, and this chap comes onto the cap, the uh, the stand and says, "Ah, oh, you work for Fothergills?" Yes. He said, uh, "I I want to have a word with you about your runner bean seeds." Well, oh God, here we go. <laughs> I'm I'm in trouble here. <laughs> I, I I planted a pack of your runner bean seeds, and out of the 20 seeds, only one germinated. And I'm thinking, oh no, straight away, I'm into a problem. So I i was being very polite and uh, explaining that, yes, of course, if we had the variety on the stand, we'd be more than happy to replace the packets or pass the guarantee, this kind of thing. And I'm spinning this off um, and feeling very self conscious. And he says, no, 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 you misunderstand me. When I checked the packet, the sow-by date was 10 years previously. I wanted to congratulate <laughs> you still getting <laughs> the <laughs> Oh, great stuff.
0: Brilliant. That's good. Uh, At <laughs> yeah, like, the end of the day.
2: Point I know what you're going to get, but yeah, yeah. That, that was, yeah, I, I was in such a panic when we first started that conversation. But uh, thankfully, it was over. Great good story.
0: Yeah. That's it. It's a good um, compliment of mm. the quality of your seeds it's, as well, isn't indeed. it? The, the,
1: yeah, after oh, all yeah, these years. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Brilliant. Uh, great <laughs> stuff. Fantastic, David. David, how, how do our uh, Digit listeners find out more about Mr. Fothergill's seats? Obviously, they can pop into the garden centre and we've got a lovely stand of yours, but uh, how else can they find out more about the brand and uh, your products?
2: Well, we have a, a rather large website, which is mrhysonfothergills.co.uk. Right. And uh, that that has lots of product information. There's lots of not just selling the product, but there are blogs on there. We have some expert writers that uh, put up information on there on a reasonably regular basis. Uh, you can sign up to a newsletter. You can request a brochure through there. If you'd like the physicality of looking through a brochure rather than looking online, That's all catered for. And it has a bit of information about the company, the company history. So, uh, you can probably, I'm not sure, but you'll probably find some pictures of our trial ground on there as well. Okay, yeah, Brilliant. that's really good. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time today, David. It's been great talking Fantastic. to you and yeah. uh, giving us a good insight into mm. the life of a, a seed company.
1: It's uh, mm. something well, I'm really very, interested very about. to Very inspirational and great to know more about the brand as well. Thank you, David. Pleasure. Pleasure. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chiltern Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives, from parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals, and hospices. Find out more at chiltonmusictherapy.co.uk.